Everyone who has participated in the making of this podcast has their own living experience in adoption and or permanency. You may find that adoption stories we talk about evoke strong feelings, particularly if you are on an adoption or permanency journey. This is very normal and is to be expected. Take the time you need to listen and reflect. Feel free to take pauses if you like, or even go on a walk to make yourself comfortable. And don't forget to breathe. Let's get started. Welcome to our podcast on Adoption Stories. Here at Adoption Stories, we explore and we reflect past experiences and past practices in adoption. We bring the voices of individuals together. We gain a better understanding of adoption today with the goal of hoping to build a better future. We reflect on those experiences. We spend time together. And every time we do this, we have the magical experience of talking about adoption from a different perspective, a different angle. We have decided that we are talking about secrecy and where and how secrecy exists in the lives of those in the galaxy. Secrecy is woven through everyone's experience in some way. And it's time. It's time to bring secrecy and that legacy into the light. The history is important. It informs who we are and how we are as we move forward. And over the course of these episodes, you're going to hear people talking about living experience and their experience of secrecy in their lives and its impact on them. My name is Diane Mathis. I'm an adoptee, having walked my, still walking my own journey in adoption and the way secrecy has impacted my life. And with me, I am very pleased to have Travis Oak, who is also going to co-moderate with me and who I've had the pleasure of knowing for, gosh, I think it's coming on eight years. So welcome, Travis. Thank you, Dan. Uh, thanks for having me here. I'm looking forward to the stories that we're going to hear and experience. Just briefly, my own story, I am a birth father who was reunited with his daughter eight years ago, uh, so when she was 30. So talking about, you know, secrets, I, I had my own secret for 30 years, and uh, I have a little bit of experience living with that myself. I'm really looking forward to hearing the stories of our guests today. Well, it's great to have you here with us, Travis. Thank you. And with us to share those stories and answer some questions are Wendy Rowney, who is an adoptee, and Karen Lynn, who is an original mom. We'll start with you, Wendy. Just tell us a little bit about you. Thanks, Diane. It's really great to be here with both you and Travis and Karen as well, of course. As you said, I'm an adoptee. I've been reunited with my family for almost 30 years at this point. And I've also spent much of that time being quite active within the adoption community, both locally, provincially, and nationally. Like you, however, I feel that my most valued experience comes from the decades that I have spent as an adoptee and the way that secrecy has woven its way through my adoption experience is something I'm excited to explore with all of you. Well, we're delighted to have you here, Wendy. And of course, Karen Lynn, 
is also with us. If you could introduce yourself a little bit, Karen, it's wonderful to have you here. Thank you, Diane. My name is Karen Lynn. I'm a mother who lost her first child to adoption in 1963. Since then, I've been in recovery and I've recovered through lots of talking with wonderful people and people who share my experience with Wendy, developed support groups and opened the records in Ontario. So I think the question we're talking about is what was your experience in secrecy and how did secrecy affect you? I think that secrecy uh, kind of hit the ground running when I was 19 and pregnant because if one was unmarried and pregnant, it was an incredible source of shame for a middle-class girl. It was the worst thing you could do. Mm. Even though I felt abandoned by my boyfriend at the time, I had to manage the whole thing myself with my mother, who was probably more shamed than me because of her post-Victorian upbringing. I feel that I was controlled by shame. We all were. And it was extremely powerful and extremely hurtful. The pain is almost impossible to describe. I felt very powerless. No one ever asked me what I wanted if I wanted to keep my baby. Yet, I was about to be blamed for, quote, giving away, unquote, my child. Thank you, Karen. 1963, I, I know you said things have changed a lot since then. You talked about the shame and even the fact that maybe your mom was shamed more than you were. But how did that translate into sort of the secrecy? It was just a thing to do. It's what you did. So my doctor told me that I didn't have to tell anybody about this. The social worker at the Children's Aid Society supported my mother really talked to her more than me. <laughs> the same thing when I was shuffled off to a maternity home. No one really wanted my opinions or to understand what was going on in my mind. It took me years to unravel what I was feeling. And that's part of the problem. You're so damaged and shocked by the imposition of secrecy and shame, the combination, that it's very numbing. I think we all know that we came out of the 60s with a considerably more modern point of view. That's interesting. You say your doctor told you you didn't have to tell anybody, which implies that mm -hmm. maybe secrecy was the, the preferred way. Did you tell anybody or did... One or two people. I responded to that by thinking... I can remember my immediate thought was, well, that means I have to tell everybody. I guess I was being rebellious. I now think that it was the right way to think and to do. Um, in fact, it was the path to undoing the secrecy and shame by telling everybody. You know, it's interesting, Karen, you're talking about the shock that you felt and how yes. that put you into a numb state. Can you say more about that? Because I think whether we're talking about 1963 or today, yes, when someone experiences a shock. Um, Absolutely. Words don't seem to cover it, but it was something like feeling, uh, I felt very blamed and betrayed. 
I felt dismissed, virtually abandoned. It's so hurtful that takes great strength to overcome that. I mean, I think it's a, a deep trauma, especially when it came time to lose my child. Um, it was extremely traumatic. I was unprepared, you know. Who knows what it's going to feel like when that happens to you? Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that, Karen, I was, I was 19 in 1983 when my daughter was born. So 20 years later, and shock is the word that I would use to describe how I felt. To experience a shock and a trauma in your formative years, especially, mm-hmm. I think, affects you moving forward. Oh, absolutely, because it's already hard enough being a teenager (laughs) and to have to deal with this, uh, to be a shamed teenager. I'm not sure if you would have it imposed or if you just retreated because, you know, it is like an electric shock to the body and you naturally recoil to the shame, which I guess was the idea. I felt taken advantage of. I didn't have the language at the time to to understand systems, but it took years to understand the the social system. I could feel it nonetheless. I could feel what had happened to me. I perceived that some people were lying and that they would do anything, anything to save me and my mother from that chain. That was a horrible way of becoming an adult. Other adults doing this to you. I think I lost my trust in a lot of people. And I unfortunately, I think I've lived with that lack of trust, always anticipating betrayal and abandonment. I've more or less conquered it because I use my, uh, my brains <laughs> to deal with it, but it's deeper than that. You talk about not having the words yeah. and that not having the words is very much what I hear what I've said, what many adoptees talk about, not having the words, because, of course, the experience happened to us before we had words. But you're describing something that went beyond words, even though you were at an age where you had memory and it was still difficult to find the words or know what the experience was about. Of course, I had words and some ability to analyze. I mean, I'd been through high school and a year of university, but never had even a conversation with anybody on this subject. And yet it was happening to me. I really had to find new words and nobody was about to help me. And and it's interesting when I talk to adoptees, we often come to the same conclusion and similar language. There's a great overlap. I feel, Mm -hmm. between our experiences. It's really pointed that you said you didn't have the language at the time, but you felt it. Yeah. Because so much is felt at such a deep level that it almost goes in some ways beyond words. And we share imposed secrecy. And yet I also heard you very much say part of how I got through it was using my brain. Right. So here we are trying to make sense of this experience using our brains when it has so profoundly moved into many other areas of our experience, our feelings, our psyche, our body. Let's hear from an adoptee. Wendy, what was your experience in secrecy and how did secrecy affect you? Well, I was adopted as an infant, and I always knew I was adopted, so that wasn't a secret. 
the secret was that I didn't know who I was. My very identity was a secret. I knew my name. I'd been told what my ethnic background was. I knew that my parents were teenagers and that they wanted to go to university and they were too young to get married. I also knew that my mother enjoyed acting and that she had long hair. And that's it. That's all I knew until I was an adult. And it's, you know, it's really not much to go on when I was trying to understand who I was and where I came from. And, and as it turned out, not all of it was even true. Some of it was a fabrication. So secrecy and adoption really stopped me from understanding myself and how I fit into the world. Obviously, as well, I, I didn't know any family members. I didn't know a single person in the entire world who was connected to me by blood. I didn't know my mother. I didn't know what she was like. I didn't know that I had six and, as it turns out, probably more. That's another secret. Brothers and sisters. I didn't know who I looked like or you know why I had certain traits or who I took after. So secrecy created a state of not knowing. And it also denied me the opportunity to know my family and how I belonged in it. And as it happens, I'm still a secret in my father's family. He's chosen not to know me or to tell his other children that I exist. And, you know, I've thought a lot about that. And, you know, I, I don't like being a secret. It makes me feel less than. And the other secret that was less obvious to me when I was growing up and really only became clear to me after I met my original family was that this was an emotional journey. When I started looking for my family, I really thought about it as an intellectual exercise. I wanted to know who I was and where I came from. And it didn't occur to me that there were any feelings involved with that. Now, when I found them, I discovered that there were, there were a lot of feelings wrapped up in this. But that was a secret. That was something that nobody talked about. I had no idea that going on the journey to find my family and to find myself in the process would be such an emotional one. When you reunited, you thought that this was something you were going to be able to work out intellectually. And it sounds like you didn't know there was going to be feelings involved in that. You've obviously discovered there are feelings. Can you talk a bit about what some of those feelings are? You know, I think my feelings around all of that have really changed. It's been an ebb and a flow for the almost 30 years that I've been in reunion. When I first reunited, I couldn't have parsed out what the feelings were. It was just this big ball of emotion that was made up of little threads, you know, like I, I picture one of like a ball of yarn with different, different threads coming out of it. And some of those threads were sadness and some of those threads were anger. Some of those threads were guilt and some of them were shame. And it was all mixed up together. And for the longest time, I felt a great deal of sadness. And I think, I think because looking back, I think I was mourning. I think I was mourning what I had lost in my life. I gained a lot through adoption and I lost a lot through adoption. And what I lost, I wasn't able to mourn when I was an infant because I didn't have any words. And I wasn't able to mourn when I was a child because I didn't, I still didn't have the words and I didn't have the experience to know it. And when, when I met my family, it's like hitting a brick wall and recognizing that I had lost out by not growing up with people to whom I was related. 
There was also, however, a great deal of anger. And I wouldn't say there was anger at any of my family members. The anger was at the system. Was that a system that created, that imposed, that made secrecy the center of my adoption experience, which meant that I had to go through this sadness because the only way you could be adopted in the days that I was adopted was to be part of a secret. So, Wendy, you talked about a lot of the feelings that you had from secrecy, anger, guilt, shame, mm-hmm. but you mentioned mourning. You felt like you were mourning loss. Can you speak to that? You know, I think mourning is a period of time when you're recognizing that you have lost something. And it's a period of time in in our culture where we deeply think about the loss that we have felt and we, we deeply experience that loss. And that is something that happened to me for quite a long time after my reunion. Because I had sort of run right into reunion without really anticipating that there would be an emotional reaction, I was completely unprepared the depth of feeling that it brought. I really, really didn't know that adoption had impacted me in any emotional way up until that moment. And after I was reunited, I recognized that I had lost and I would never, I would never have the opportunity to fully belong in the family to which I was born because of adoption and because primarily because of the secrecy. And that deserves mourning because it's a significant loss. It's something that I think most people take for granted in their lives. It's not something, it's like breathing. It's not something they think about. But when you don't have it, and then you recognize that you don't have it, you have to mourn its loss in order to be able to move forward. And that's what happened to me. That happened to me too, because I was not allowed to mourn my lost child. If you dared to mention it to anyone, they would either go all silent or say, but you essentially, you caused it. You gave your child away without having any understanding of the forces. You're both naming so clearly that mourning is so important. Can you say anything about what brought you to realize that or what allowed you or how you gave yourself permission to mourn? I mean, grieving and mourning are not easy experiences to know about or to know that you need. Uh, Partly it was reading books about other people the same experience and talking to other people, trying on this idea and that idea really helps to share your your ideas. Again, coming together, hearing other experiences. What about for you, Wendy? How did you know or come to recognize the importance of mourning? Initially, the grieving in the morning wasn't a voluntary act. It was more like I was drowning in a tidal wave of emotion that was rushing over me. And in order to keep my head above water, I had to grieve because there was nothing else I could do. And then like Karen says, it was finding a community of people. It was finding other people who were also grieving, who were also thinking about these things that helped me to keep my head above water ultimately and to figure out how to eventually, to carry on with the metaphor, swim out of the out of the grief 
and get to a place in my life where I was able to recognize that the grief, that the loss, that the secrecy had impacted me. But I was also able to recognize that it wasn't the most important thing in my life. And I could, I could, I could move on from there. It was so hard to find people to talk to with it about. And Karen's right. So reading books, I was in therapy. I started by going to a, a support group. All of those things helped me to give words to, to come back to something we were talking about earlier, to give words to the experience and to understand what had happened to me so that it didn't, I didn't just feel, but I could think and feel at the same time. Yeah, words are so important because they congeal ideas. And then you can build a structure of understanding what happened. Uh, the day I met my son, we sat down at my kitchen table. He was 35 and, and the sun was shining on him and he said, what happened? And I thought, what a great question, <laughs> because, you know, since then, it propelled me to go back centuries to figure out what happened, because it's a very long tradition, you know. I think I've heard both Wendy and Karen talk about moving beyond secrecy. I know the episode is about how secrecy is embedded in adoption, but what I've heard them both say is talking to other people was such an important part of their journey. And I think what they're really saying is, once I started telling my secret and it stopped being a secret, then I could move on and heal. I really like how you said that, Travis, that talking to other people moved me beyond being a secret and having a secret. And I, you know, I think it's like anything, the more something is out in the open, the less it's a secret. And then the secret, because of that, has less and less hold over you. And it's a very empowering thing to speak your truth, to stand up and say, this happened to me, this was the impact of it. And, you know, I'm not going to take it anymore. Talking about it, finding a community, working on these words together, helped us to say this secret, this is wrong. This should not be. What happened to us, the secrets that we were contorted around in our lives as we were, you know, growing up and becoming into maturity, that's unnecessary. We need to find other ways of dealing with adoption that doesn't do this to people, that doesn't have the same impact because secrecy hurts. Doesn't it sound like an ancient riddle? How do you stop a secret from being a secret? You talk about it. That's right. You talk about it a lot. And you talk about it in public and you talk about it with your friends. Now, the downside to that is that the more that you do that, the more you open yourself up to criticism. Every time I have spoken, many people will come to me and say, well, I know an adoptee and she doesn't want to know anything about it. You're wrong or can't you just be happy with what happened to you? Accept it and move on with your life. Those kinds of things. Remember when I was first reunited, like, like a couple of weeks in, and I was so upset I could barely get out of bed. And a good friend of mine said, I don't understand what you're so sad. Like, you know, you got to meet her and everything. I thought that everything would be fine now and you'd be so much better. And first of all, I was like, what do you mean? What was wrong with me before that now I need to be better? And you have no idea the depth of despair I am in right now because I'm realizing it. But you can't go back and it's gone. So the more you talk about it, the more other people feel compelled to tell you that you're wrong, which I think is a really interesting occurrence since it's not happening to them. And again, that's why we have to keep talking to each other. 
because we can say we're right and we keep reminding ourselves of that. The secrecy is damaging to people and I hope that people can find their own path out of secrecy. It's like being in the middle of a forest and walking out into the sunshine. As we end this episode, I want to say a very deep thank you to Karen and to Wendy, who have shared their stories with honesty, clarity, deep wisdom, and it takes a lot of vulnerability to share the ways that secrecy has impacted your life. And we can begin to hear the meaning and the connections that are coming from that experience. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation. As we mentioned at the beginning, this might have stirred up some strong feelings for you, particularly if you are on an adoption or permanency journey. Please don't hesitate to reach out to the ACO if you'd like to connect with others who understand. In our next episode, we talk to Don and Cindy, two people who are adopted, about how secrecy has impacted their journeys. 